If you're an average kind of writer, you write a song about a guy crying, we just say, you know, the guy cried. But if you're a poet like Jimmy Webb, you say it a little different, like ocean in his eyes.
This is episode 276, entitled Widow's Peak, P-I-Q-U-E, and we've just heard the live version of Ocean in His Eyes by Jimmy Webb, which was recorded live, recorded and then later recorded live by Glenn Campbell. And if you know the song, which is quite powerful about, um, about the death of a relationship, it is quite, quite introspective and uh, penetrating, but uh, the live version here by Glenn Campbell adds a verse that's not in the recorded version, and it's really worth listening to. I think it's just really quite important in its uh, self-diagnosis of the poor chap who's uh, crashed and burned after a romantic rejection. Now, I want to talk about today the odd fact that there are certain subjects that you cannot talk about in the pulpit. And I want to try to understand why it is, because I myself feel my hands are tied. Now, I'm not talking about political subjects or even issues of social justice one way or t'other or um, current, um, current uh, issues of conscience, which, of course, occasionally one, one would wish to, under the Spirit of God, address. I'm not denying that for a second, as Boltman did very immediately after the rise of the uh, election of the Nazis in 1933. He preached an extraordinarily powerful sermon at Marburg that is uh, appropriate, absolutely appropriate. But I'm talking really about certain pastoral subjects or personal subjects that are verboten. I would say that one is the incidence of suicide among one's immediate family. It is a mental health crisis of, of the highest uh, highest order in this country right now, and I find people are very reluctant to talk about it. For some reason, it touches a nerve that is close to home, but actually, I don't, that's an easy straw man, you might say. I'm, let me give you another example, but the real example is widowhood. The real example, the real issue that you can't talk about is widowhood. Now, another, uh, to make, uh, to set the stage, another uh, uh, great condition of the human race spread across all kinds of people, a universal condition, is the claim of romantic love on a person that is sufficient at a time of sufficient vulnerability, forlornness, forsakenness, dependence, and need to make an otherwise um, rational person um, chuck all his or her normal, sincere values, loyalties, and previously held life um, lodestars, that's a mixed metaphor, and chuck them all in favor of the aspiration and hunger and limitless need for a romantic connection. Now, when I talk about that, people will come up to me and they'll actually get very hot under the collar. They'll say, that's not true. I would never do that. I would never do that. I can't imagine that. Why do you talk about, I would, I would never do that. Now, in, almost inevitably, the people that have most attacked me on the spot for saying something relatively obvious, from Romeo and Juliet to Anna Karenina, you know, um, from Dombey and Son to um, Henry Miller and Ryder Haggard, um, the people who've gotten on my case very hot under the collar, almost inevitably, in nine out of ten cases I can remember, that very person was at that time contemplating doing such a thing, and in fact did. That's the person who, eight months later, you know, left her husband and her children and her loyalties and all the things that had been really governing uh, important values as she saw it and lived it, because there was a vulnerable moment of tremendous forlornness and need for comfort and love and companionship in the emotional sense, and this person left everything. Now, you'll say that's either or. Well, it is either or. Now, there's some people who won't do it, other people who are afraid to do it, and other people who are simply 
built in such an anchored, non-neurotic fashion that they, even if tempted, they wouldn't do it because everyone's tempted, but they wouldn't do it. But uh, you'd be amazed how many otherwise very, very together-seeming people have made outrageous decisions at a certain point in their life. You know, I can't, uh, I'll do anything for love, baby. I mean, half of rock and roll, not half, 95% of rock and roll is, is, uh, is rooted in the um, absolute character of the need of a romantic connection. And if you, uh, you know, if you don't say that, understand that you, you, you're married and you're related to another person at your, um, re- you're really very, um, at your own potential cost because uh, this is the power of an overwhelming subcutaneous uh, demand for hopeful union with another soul that has the ability to override all previous goods in a person's life. But when I say that, believe me, people just explode. Later on, you know, their son will come to me and say, remember that sermon you preached? Well, mom, da-da-da-da-da. Or, golly, you know, I'm I'm sadder but wiser, but you preached that sermon and I got took so much umbrage. And yet, you know, six months later, I did this, but it was a mistake. And I'm, I'm now begging my former wife to take me back. And I, unfortunately, she's remarried. <laughs> you know, that, I, I can't tell you. Now, even if I tell you that, I'm afraid you're going to bite my head off. Now, let me tell you one other. But why is that? I didn't mean that. to. I, I meant that as a diagnostic tool to, with an understanding of human vulnerability. And we all live under these, uh, these signatures, you know, we all live under these signatures, uh, these sort of powers of principalities and powers. We live under them. These, they're demons, really. And uh, why shouldn't I acknowledge that if I include myself in the victimhood potential list? Why can't I um, talk about it uh, without... Um, arousing, you know, such, what do they call it today, uh, back, backwash, backflow, um, such resistance. Now, uh, here's another one that is very close to home today, because I'm now 68, and I am actually living out something that I was sort of warned about, but not ever in the pulpit, but I was told about it purely in statistical terms, sort of Ripley's Believe It or Not terms, and now I see it happening all around me. And this is the the fact that statistically, women, without any statistical question, except who it's going to be, that women have a higher life expectancy than men across the board. Now, in some cultures and in some situations, it's eight to two. In others, it's six to four. In our particular experience, it's probably more like seven to three, or maybe six to four, but I think it's more like seven to three as I watch it. But this is a fact of enormous power and impact, a better impact on regular women, people. Why do I say it? Because almost every couple that I know well, personally, is going through either the fact of or the imminent fact of the death of the husband through disease, naturally, through this, that, or the other thing. And the number of uh, husbands I know that are dying and leaving widows vastly outnumbers the number of um, women, uh, of men I know whose wives are dying, leaving them widowers. Yes, there are. Yes, I know very, very up close some men whose wives have died who are widowers, and it's a, they're experiencing primary grief. But the, that's about 30% of the large number of couples Mary and I have known over the years, fairly up close. The vast number of them are uh, 
the husband died earlier. I, I, the, the, you'll say it's anecdotal, but it's not. Just read the statistics. It's, it's a fact that has to be faced because if you're female listening to this cast and you either are married or would like to be married to someone who is roughly your age, was married, would like to be married, is about to be married, or simply, or was, you know, y'all note that the uh, possibility is more likely to be a probability of you're spending the last 10 to 20 years of your life alone, unmarried, without the man you loved, or at least tried to love, or wish you'd loved, and perhaps despite all did love, and maybe really loved, all of those possibilities, the chances of your living in an apartment, a small house somewhere solo, dependent on your children for real care, God willing, or maybe not, is much higher than if you're a male listening to this uh, cast. It's just a fact. And the, I say it, I, we, were, we were recently in a social situation and uh, there were a lot of single older ladies our age. And I said, Mary, you know these people. Uh, what is the the percentage of, of the women here who are widows and what is how many widowers. Well, there were no widowers. There were two couples who have long-term marriages, a man and a woman, two, two couples, and there were eight widows. Recently in church at a service we were at, I asked uh, Mary, because I noticed that the congregation, this is often true in Episcopal churches, it's, you know, where the average age is more like 55 to 65 in uh, most Episcopal churches today. That's, again, another fact that has to be faced. Uh, not a good fact, and thank God for people like John Zoll and David Zoll and Simeon Zoll who are working, and many others, many others who are working with all their hearts to bring in younger families, and with serious success, but it's hard work. Um, we looked at this congregation of a lovely parish we knew somewhere, have known. And I said, Mary, you know that these people, I see of the 24 people in front of us, 20 are female and four are male. What percentage of the, A, that right off the bat, and then well, what, what percentage of the women, you know most of them, are, are widows? And she said, well, probably, oh my gosh, probably 17 of the 20 are, are, are widows. And, um, you know, it, it just is a fact. And, and yet, and here I said, so, but why doesn't, why didn't anybody warn us? Why didn't anyone warn the, these people? And after all, by the way, when the man, when a person dies, they're gone. I mean, it's not as if, you know, you may have had mixed feelings about your husband. You may have had mixed feeling. You may have had tremendous sacrifice, emotional sacrifice to stay married to this impossible man. Um, and yet you did it. It was a wonderful thing. And yet he, when he's dead, the, whatever power dynamics, quote, power dynamics, and they were real very possibly in your relationship with him. What does, what does it matter now? You know, who, who, who gives a, you know what? You know, he's dead. He, he, he's, he can't either be powerful or a nerd. He can neither be a wonk or a prep. He can't be a, a strong personality, a dominant personality, or a dweeb. You know, he can't be Margaret Thatcher's husband or Winston Churchill. And I'm not saying that Margaret Thatcher's husband isn't wonderful. Um, go right down the list. Uh, it, 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 once, once you're dead, the, the power dynamic doesn't, the, the women have all the power. The, the, the one who's survived has all the power. Let's just put it that way. In this congregation, I was looking at people who had power as opposed to the men who have lost all their power because they're dead. I mean, let's, let's put it in honest terms. And to be able to say that though, believe me, I've said it once or twice in the pulpit and I just had mammoth negation. They didn't, no one wants to hear it. Now, I'm, am I saying this, I mean, you tell me, am I saying this uh, 
I mean, I'm thinking about marrying me. I'm not just thinking about some other group of people or some other group of women or some other group of men who I love and know who are all in columbariums in churches. I'm not thinking about those people. I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about me and my wife. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, and it may in fact turn out that, you know, um, Mary's mom was a, a widow for several years, and my mother, Mrs. Zoll, was a widow for 30, close to 30 years. Um, it may well be that Mary's a widow, and it could be the other way around, but think of the implications of understanding if half your congregation were to be lovingly alerted to the fact that they need to prepare emotionally and psychodynamically for the fact that they are going to be living alone, and that once the man dies, Every it's A D versus B C. Your financial situation, your geographical situation, your housing situation, your situation vis-a-vis your children if you have them, your situation vis-a-vis your dogs, your situation vis-a-vis um, your continuing ed, your reading, your sharing, uh, the people you spend time with. It will change. 180 degrees because of this fact, and yet no one ever talks about it. That's my experience. It's like a fact, hiding in plain sight, but because it's never acknowledged, and then you suddenly meet your beloved friend who was married to another beloved friend, and she's now a widow, and all she ever talks about is the husband um, who, you know, we were there when he was around, and it may feel very different now the reports we hear today as opposed to the reports we heard 15 years ago and it works on both sides of the gender difference but it'll work on Mary's side and my side one way the last thing I want is to be living alone thinking about this incredibly wonderful loving, kind um, delightful, you know when I think about Mary I think of the song Windy, you know in by the association who's creeping who's looking around the corner with a smile stormy eyes, Mary's eyes Mary's smile, can I imagine life without The answer is no. But statistically, it's still very likely that she'll be having to imagine, more than imagine, life without me, lucky girl. But you'd see what I'm saying, how important this is, and yet we cannot say it. Now, that's my question. Why can't we talk about it? Why? I'm going to play you a song at the end by Joe South from 1970. This is, in my opinion, one of the great songs of the late 60s uh, entitled The Games People Play, and it's all about the games we play in life, about this, that, and the other thing. And he was referencing a work of psychology that was well-known, and Joe South, you know, what do you say? But nevertheless, the song is brilliant because he finally invokes a death. He invokes the coffin. He invokes the hearse, the back, you know, you're all going to end up at the back of a hearse. So why not deal right now? That the, the games people play, power games, emotional games, relationship games, they'll end up for at least one of you before the other in the back of a hearse, like in Ikiru, when the husband's wife dies 30, you know, he's a widower, and he has to come together in that great, great, great 1954 um, a Kurosawa film about aloneness after the wife has died. Well, I leave that with you with all my love, and uh, I just want to say, if only uh, the preacher, the hope addict, the hope dealer, could present the truth about what the uh, majority of the women in the congregation, let alone the men who are going to be underground or in the columbarium, um, sooner rather than later, wouldn't it be terrific if uh, we could deal with that Uh, in the context that we're never alone, that God is never more 
close than he is to the widows and orphans. Why does the, the New Testament talk about widows and orphans? I don't, I don't know any references to the, in the Pauline letters to widowers and orphans. I know a ton of references to widows and orphans. They were the helpless ones. And at least the New Testament deals with it concretely, specifically, pastorally, and honestly. And I just think this is one of several themes that we need to look at for the good of our, of our own selves and our lives, let alone me, let alone Mary, let alone my kids, let alone, most importantly, the people whom God has given us to our charge. Thank you so much. And here's Turn your back on humanity, oh, and you don't 